0: Thank you very much for me. Uh, that was uh, I was having goosebumps as you we're reading lot of those things. These are these are senior people. Yeah, I mean, thank you very much for joining this session, and we're looking forward to some exciting conversation. Uh, I mean, for um, our audience, if you really did, if you, if you if you share my goosebumps, please leave your comments, You know, then and you know, let let them hear hear you. Know, feel your, your love. Yeah, so thank you very much again. And uh, just like uh, Folmi had said, uh, unconventional insurance in an emerging market, right? Um, but before we even go into all of that, uh, I wanted to ask, because you know, one thing that I've seen that is common between, I mean, the four panelists, and even me and myself, uh, is that we all don't have a background in insurance. <laughs> right, <laughs> so uh, first of all, is it that uh, the movement of the change is going to come from the outside? And then also, I mean, why insurance? Uh, maybe we'll start with, with Joel. Why insurance? How is insurance coming today? That's such a remote part to you know to go into.
1: I'm um, sorry, I'm just gonna go ahead and say, um, for me. We stumbled on insurance, right? We've been set out to basically do insurance. Um, as As Faluni said, we're, we're working on a whole different setup um, called Motige, and essentially, um, it was on the back of that that we tried to create very innovative insurance. I mean, products in terms of uh, pay as you drive, pay you drive sort of models, based on the data that we had collected of the devices in the vehicles. Now, what we noticed was, you know, um, we, we thought we had a very good product but then the market, when we took it to the market, there was no adoption basically, right? We were too early on. And uh, so we were very curious about that observation. And what we decided to do is do a survey and try and find, figure out where were people not onboarding on the new product, right? And what we found out was very interesting. One, um, most of the people that we're targeting again in the mobility space are, you know, riders, the traditional Okada, border border guys, and they're very unconventional, so to say. And, of core interest to them through the survey that we did was essentially that they cared more about themselves than they cared about the asset we were trying to sort of provide an insurance cover for, right? So it was a light bulb moment for us, like, oh, okay, cool. Then we need to shift focus totally and, you know, see how, you know, what kind of challenges are they having? um, What existing solutions are there? Um And on top of that, how can we then come in and and create something that resonates with them, right? So for us, it was just sort of like a, a stumble upon kind of solution, and uh, we we in the business and actually purely focus now on providing a personal accident cover. So that that's sort of like how we came about with Motisha for us.
0: Oh wow, okay, that's 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 quite interesting. So Nabi, I mean, we've, you've been on, on our podcast, so I guess I know kind of how you came into the insurance space, but I mean. It's
2: it's still remote, like. <laughs> so, uh, so I also stumbled across insurance because I had a had a personal situation where um, we had to lodge. It was a it was a traumatic life life experience, and and being an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs' needs are very much ignored across the board in the financial services sector. If we look at banking or lending. Um, it's very much designed for the corporate world by the corporate world. So when I encountered this problem and 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 lodged a claim and it all got rejected, then it got me curious enough to dabble in insurance. So we started off in 2017 with a really big vision. The product has changed and evolved over the last few years to what it is today. The vision from day one was: how do we make insurance transparent? How do we make insurance simple and hyper-personalized to the customer. So so that has always been the vision. And we started off with building a marketplace with a recommendation engine to connect existing products and sell it to the end user to then realize that how far behind the industry is and how difficult it is to execute on it due to a number of challenges across the insurance supply chain fragmentation, the lack of technology that can integrate seamlessly all the way from reinsurance to distribution. So then we did a lot of R&D around what is the most appropriate technology and and did some testing on um, the value of smart contracts and and what is the purpose of smart contracts and across the value chain, how we could utilize that piece of technology. And, And after a lot of experimentation and studying the market we, I, I wanted to create something from the ground up. So we went back to the drawing board and Hustle Cover was born off the back of just watching the market, speaking to a whole range of insurers and insurtechs around the world and really looking at where is the future Of work look like? Where is the world going? Where are the customers? What are some of the other big key trends that are happening in the industry that is shaping the market? So really looking at outside of the insurance industry, so retail, e-commerce, where the big trends are, and then looking at banking and fintech and where the trends are going. And the next obvious thing would be where insurance could go even though in the incumbents are very much far behind to be able to design a proposition to deliver on the vision of serving for the gig economy we had to create something from the ground up mm,
0: wow well, that's 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 very 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 interesting and um, before we before we go on i uh, just want to do a quick shout out to some who who are joining us online, so on LinkedIn, Sahid Anonuga, uh, Jack Farren, Ebimowe, uh, Otieno inyanga hi everyone, Richard Machomba. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, so, Siswe, uh, uh, to the two people who have spoken before now have said they stumbled on insurance. Well, I stumbled on insurance as well. Uh, I've, I've heard, I mean, you've spoken on our podcast, but then I think that, I mean, you, your experience is a, the definition of stumbled on insurance. So yeah, share with us.
3: Yeah. Um, and hi to everyone, uh, currently joining. Yeah, look, I I literally pretty much share, share the same experience with pretty much uh, everyone else on this panel. I also stumbled on insurance. I was completely foreign to the to the whole industry, completely foreign to the financial services as a whole, and that's actually what made me want to join. <clears throat> the fact that I've never actually had any experience in the financial services. Um, actually, initially, um, you know, upon my joining, I was considering uh consulting or you know joining a bank, you know, um but then I stumbled on keyword, uh stumbled on insurance. And um yeah so I, like you know obviously you're aware of the story Damala. i actually bumped into uh the, the co-founders um on a train and that's kind of <laughs> that that's kind of where the, the initial conversations of myself joining Pineapple really started. And you know then I found myself in an insurance ticket. I felt like this is probably the best way for me to join, given my you know my historical passion for startups and entrepreneurship in general as opposed to joining an existing big large, large corporation? Why not join a small player that's trying to disrupt the industry um and that's yeah that that's really how I got into the insurance game wow
0: that's that's very interesting I mean. <laughs> Thank you, we have trains here as well, so and I think I'm going to jump on the next train to meet my. Yeah. <laughs> I need to disrupt. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Uh, so nonso, uh, is it the same for you stumbling on stumbling into insurance?
4: <laughs> yeah, I think that's just the right word. I I stumbled uh, on insurance uh, when I was actually doing telemedicine and uh, I was traveling for a program. Uh, in Geneva when I saw a couple of kids picking plastic. Then we, w- one of the things we realized was telemedicine was more like a convenient healthcare. Only the rich could afford it. But we, in our mind, we are trying to bridge the gap in healthcare, you know, financing so people could consult doctor online. But we automatically neglected millions of people like this. So it was in Switzerland that I learned that for telemedicine to work, you actually need an insurance on the right to, you know, embed it. So when I came back to Nigeria, I had practically no knowledge on insurance. So I had to take up a job with uh, ARM pension, which I believe was closer to insurance since I couldn't get into insurance to at least understand how the informal sector work on insurance. So and practically, I had no experience in insurance and I've never been insurance before.
0: <laughs> uh, that's, that's good. So, I mean, everyone listening, is one everyone of us here, we don't have a background in insurance, but we are passionate about how we can take the insurance industry to the next level, right? And, and that is something that is quite exciting. And I'm sure that there's no one on this call who... I mean, yes, we are in short text, but then uh you're working with the core insurance industries and uh, you know one way or another. So we're definitely working together. Right. And so how can we build this space and grow it? And I mean, uh it was interesting that uh, what you said there and uh, also and maybe I want to uh stick with you. Uh there uh, you talked about uh you know seeing that, you know, when you traveled, uh I mean looking at uh, financial inclusion, I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, would I say the buzzword is something that is in the conversation now and then, you know, uh, when you talk about financial inclusion, right? Uh, insurance, you know, generally is not usually you know, in the conversation. You talk about financial inclusion you know, say, you know, bank accounts opened, you know, and things like that, you know, uh, but well, you know, how can we change this, you know, because at the end
4: of the day, insurance is, is, is a huge tool and it's helpful. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Adebo Ali Banjo. I'm co-founder, CEO at MyCover.ai, and we are building Africa's digital insurance infrastructure. For the latest news on insurance technology in Africa, keep listening to InsureTech Business Series and stay updated. Okay, uh, thank you, Debola. I think, uh, uh, like uh, Richard we always say people don't wake up in the morning and go to the internet to buy insurance, but every day they face different <laughs> forms of ways. So yeah. I think uh, we have this idea around uh, financial inclusion to be more financial perils like uh, credit, uh, you know, payment and savings, and people pay less attention on, insurance and pension, which practically most of these services rest on listed. Because when you look at it, there's a close relationship between insurance and economic development. Apparently when you are trying to target low income people segments in, in, in any country or uh, economy. So if we are to create a complete narrative uh, change in that narrative, we have to start looking at insurance as a as, a, as a for more of an inclusion, not just as a side service, because millions of people from my experience see insurance as a, a product for the rich, you know, an expensive loss rate, not what they need. But you realize that 85% of people are likely to go back into poverty if they don't have insurance, if there's no aid to prevent them in case, in case of risk. So I think it's high time we try to, you know, create that mental shift around insurance. But for us to do this, we have to invest more in aggressive marketing and awareness marketing to bridge that gap in trust. Selling insurance is not more like a service. We should see that we are selling trust because that is the big problem with people. People find it difficult to understand insurance. And probably when you're trying to communicate to an unorganized informal sector, low education, lower disposable income, how do you explain this kind of service to someone? You need to create a solution that is tailored to his need so he could understand that I am likely to move into poverty if I don't make this decision. It's not just about saving money. It's not just about picking it up the loan. I can pick a microcredit, and something can happen, and I can lose the entire service. So until you make people, you know, have that complete mentorship, shift, you can be able to deal with insurance. So I believe that uh, creating that level of financial inclusion is not. It wouldn't. Let's just. We have to change that directive from the angle of cash payments and credit, and see see insurance as more of a, an embedded solution that must go with these services.
0: Mm, yeah. Very 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 interesting there uh so i want to go to uh jewel uh i know that uh you are also engaging you know uh, on the sub market right through multi um and also mentioned there about how we need to change the way that we you know really talk about insurance and and represent insurance to to um the market especially right, if you are looking at um Getting more people insured in Africa, right? How are you doing that uh, with multi-shore? Uh Especially looking at the fact that, I mean, you are quite specific, at, at least for now, what the market that you are you are serving, you know, the border border.
1: Yeah, um, so it's interesting what Nosanga said, and I totally agree with him. And what we found out in our survey, or in our research, was. The guys on the ground, which is the normal Boda Boda guys, yeah. These are these are guys who have a very high. Sorry, for the
0: Boda Boda, please explain what Boda Boda. I know what it is, but Boda Boda, 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 we mean
1: like like bike riders or or guys on a motorcycle, basically, they're carrying people, carrying food, or couriers and those kind of things. So essentially, for most of them, they're very self-aware. That's the first thing, and most people underestimate. You know, um you know, the communication itself, right? So you notice with traditional products, uh, the way they've been communicated in the industry uh, previously, there's a disconnect between the end user and the, the guy who's providing the service, right? So that kind of creates um, a scenario where the end user thinks of that insurance product as a, a product that is not meant for them. So when we notice that, and when we talk to quite a number of uh, these border Boda guys or the riders, we, we, we basically figured two things. One, there will have to be a, a lot of education in terms of you know, um, how you communicate the product, that's the first thing. Two, we, we looked at different ways of um, basically solving this and the way we, we decided to go with is by embedding the insurance in already existing points of sale, right? So think of uh, a, a petrol station or just a fuel station, right? The guy has to use fuel every single day, right? For us, that becomes a distribution point. So what we do is that, you know, we go sit down with these guys and get our insurance product embedded on the cost of the fuel, right? So essentially, the guy will accumulate it every day. He'll come and buy the, you know, the fuel. But then part of that cost of the fuel will go to him getting a daily cover, that is specific for accidents, right? So for us, the, the the play we've chosen to go with is the embedded way, and the, the reason for that is within mobility, um, you target we're targeting millions of people, right? So you want to make it as frictionless as possible. You don't want to have to over communicate the solution. So what you do is you get the partner to onboard and then distribute on your behalf. So that in that way, you basically hit you know ten million users within a very short span of time, and that kind of cascades down to the guys. Now, over a period of time, you'll slowly bring them on board and show them that, hey, this is something that you can actually do. And the reason as to why we've chosen the micro-insurance play is to make it very affordable and very flexible and only on demand do they get the insurance that they need. So that's sort of like our approach: The embedded play and in points of sale. So we don't, we're not inventing any wheel here. We're just giving them, you know, already things that they are using on a normal day. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, uh, Nabi, uh, I mean, listening to some of these things about uh, getting uh, people who generally would have been excluded before, uh, getting them insurance or protection that they need, yeah, not just insurance, right, protection that they need, because that's what exactly we're trying to do. Um, how has that been for you, especially looking at the fact that you are um, serving the gig economy, and that's a growing space uh, right now?
2: Yeah, so we we are very much focused on on embedding the product as well, but uh, looking at the gig economy through the lens of what is what what is the gig economy look like? Um, and being able to identify where the customers are and what platforms do customers use. So if you look at the gig economy, you can dissect the market into sort of like the knowledge economy focused gig workers or independent contractors. Then you have sort of the the trades kind of drivers and construction workers, all these kinds of stuff. So so looking at the risk categories of knowledge workforce and the non-knowledge workforce, then look at the platforms that uh, these different segments use to earn an income, they're designing a product uh, where we can leverage the data across those platforms to be able to provide a coverage to protect the income that I- that is fluctuating over a period of time. And the nature of independent work is cash flow is tight, income is always fluctuating. Um, but then to be able to provide coverage. For the amount that, that people are earning as they're working through one hustle, two, three different side hustle across different platforms. And you can't really predict when an accident is going to happen. And also really looking at the type of accidents that a knowledge worker would experience versus a non-knowledge worker would experience and building a community around that. So we do a lot of you know, brand collaborations, uh, building community, engaging community. Financial literacy, um, and partnering with other platforms that are providing financial services, whether it's a tax platform or whether it's an accounting platform, and there are really interesting points of data that are being captured across these platforms that can be utilized to automatically underwrite directly onto those platforms to ensure the users. So, so to to Joel's point, uh, rather than trying to educate the users about you know the insurance making the product simple and easy and to be able to consume at point of sale um at whatever kind of you know um, platforms that they they're leveraging as a as a version 1 and as we grow and scale we would like to see the solution to be um available across markets and across jurisdictions because if you look at for example a platform like Fiverr um, which is a global platform but to be able to deploy a product that can cover everybody that uses the platform requires a whole range of compliance and governance and capacity um, organization across those markets which is a very complex um, thing to endeavor but that would be the holy grail in the future to have a product and with an API, that could plug into these platforms that could provide global coverage. But currently, we have to go market after market, finding capacity and then rolling it out. Um, but that is that is the the most frictionless, seamless way to protect the creator economy, or the passion economy, or the gig economy. Uh,
0: that's 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 interesting. And um, so, Seasway, right? Um, all of these conversations that we've had so far, right, is it's been about doing it differently, right? But then this different thing is being enabled by technology, really. Uh you can't achieve all of this skills with what we're currently uh doing or have been doing before, at least pre-pandemic, right? Uh, from a technology point of view, I mean how how, how how do we approach this? Uh, what has to change for us as insurance and insurance?
3: So in terms of, I, I guess, just to answer that question of accessibility and how I guess technology plays a role in that, I think, um, and that was also one thing that I know we spoke about in the podcast, the one thing technology definitely enables is access, and I know if you look at, I know I think there was um, a non-so who was mentioning earlier that insurance is still seen as this like this thing for you know the wealthier people to 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 make to you know to purchase, and I guess that makes sense in the numbers as well. I think if you look at insurance penetration across Africa, it's generally quite low, except for South Africa where it's extremely you know high. But that is also that is completely you know a result of the the socioeconomic situation the country finds itself in, you know, given the historical circumstances of the country and the economic division, you know, that is there. If you look at, you know, the people who are insured, this is not even in South Africa, it's like a stock difference across economic lines. And, um, you know, the one thing that'll that'll really solve that is technology and just access to it. And I think with a further penetration of that, there's so much opportunity to offer a lot of financial services um, and insurance products to you know your, your lower LSM, you know, to, to people who wouldn't otherwise have access to these um to these um, functions, which is obviously what we're you know attempting to do at, at at Pineapple. Um and you know there's a there's a there's such a big role that technology can play. Um, I think even even the advent of of the capabilities of the technology itself. So for example, your cell phone, Can feed can give you so much data, like you know you've got location-based data, you've got, um, you know your gyroscope, battery. There's so many, um, so much alternative data one can actually capture from the device, um, that you can perform so different functions. uh, You can you know essentially innovate different functions of your financial services. So you can you know disrupt things like, um, you know underwriting. You know you can disrupt a lot of, uh, you know things like yeah. So underwriting things, there's just so many other decisions that you can make based off a lot of the alternative data that one can collect that can inherently disrupt the insurance industry um, and financial services as a whole and you know you don't necessarily have to um, prejudice someone based off um, factors that are out of their control which is you know the story of Africa you know like in, you know and it, I know in, in, in South Africa it's definitely a big thing like you can be prejudiced based off where you live or You know your economic situation, which is really not your fault. It's just kind of the situation you find yourself born into because of the the history of the of of the country. You know, and and um, you know, so I think there's there's so much opportunity um, that technology can play in that in in that regard, just in reshaping the industry specifically. You know, on the African continent. Mm,
0: Yeah, thank you, thank you very much for that. Uh Sticking on the point about uh the customer, right? Um I think that one of the things that I mean I have also seen around the world is the need for us to focus on being more customer-centric, right? And you know, starting from the customer, what exactly works for the customer and then building a product. That has not been what was before. Um so uh I mean, maybe I'll start with Nabi. uh. In terms of engaging the gig economy, uh, is there a lot of uh, understanding of that space that the industry needs to, to do or uh, some of the products that we have right now, we just need to tweak them, you know, to solve this market?
2: It is evolving, like from a customer's perspective, customers don't understand that it is possible for a product like this to exist. So when they come across our product, they're often kind of shocked that it it does exist. And and then also customers don't realize that they need the product, um, that it could happen, that that a product could exist. So then if you look at the common products of a self-employed person is generally around business insurance, you know, public liability, professional indemnity, Um, And there's a whole bunch of things that self-employed people will have to look at to keep their businesses running and really think about themselves around their own financial well-being, you know, preparing for, for an unforeseen circumstances. Do they have enough money to to tackle a shock or absorb shock in the event something like that would happen. And then also planning for the future and retirement and savings and all of these kinds of things. Because those aspects in the corporate world uh, is generally a function of HR, would then really take care of that. But once you become self-employed on top of running your own business, now you have the burden of really thinking about, okay, I need to pay for my retirement. I need to protect my income. So it becomes like, a it, it's a lot for an individual to do. So then when they come across the product, people feel relieved to know that these solutions are coming to the market. And there is a lot of positive sentiment around the creation of of a product like hustle cover um and it's still very early days in market adoption so if we look at the gig economy and the the life um span of gig economy is only about 10 years old the the new gig economy but if we look at self-employment is not a new sector self-employment and entrepreneurship has existed for a long time, the difference is in the last 10 years, there has been this massive shift powered by technology, powered by big tech that have kind of democratized the rise of entrepreneurship that allows people to, you know, start selling and monetizing their passion through TikTok or or Instagram or, you know, sell things on on e-commerce. So we've seen this massive rise of self-employment and micro-entrepreneurship where one person can quit their job and have this lifestyle business and MasterCard predicts that the gig economy or the passion economy is going to be more than 50% of the global workforce. Now, this is a shift that we have not seen in our lifetime in the workforce or future of work. So that's that's very interesting and I think we will see a lot more happening in, in banking and finance, specifically looking at the passion economy, creator economy, and the gig economy across the board in, you know, all different markets, because all the different markets operate slightly in unique, different ways with riddle, you know, subtleties and nuances, but the core problems are the same.
4: Hi, I'm Dr. Neto, founder and CEO of Wella Health, where we're working on affordable access to healthcare, Using
3: Technology and Alternative Care Pathways, microinsurance being central to our work. I'm delighted to be on a chat on insuretech Business Series where we talk about some of the stuff we're learning at Weller Health and how we can improve insurance adoption across Nigeria and Africa. Enjoy.
0: Yeah, true, true. Uh, that's that's a huge uh, number there from uh, you said from, from uh, MasterCard. Uh, so, uh, Joel, uh, how much of, um, let's like, say, human centered design do we need to employ as we are looking to serve more um, Africans, right? Um, level of penetration, as you know, is about, in our, across the continent, is about 3%. Uh, so, if you look at each market, like we like mentioned, Tizia, um, South Africa is the outlier. Um, but how, how do we go about this differently? Because uh, with the numbers at 3%, it means that maybe the product has not worked or something. I don't know.
1: I mean, like, look, um, this is a tough one, right? And clearly uh, no one has figured it out yet, right? So, um, but from where we see it, right? Um, we have a couple of opinions, right? Um, first, traditional products have to change. That's the first thing. Two, the whole approach to risk from where we stand has to change. Like how we look at risk, you know, how you underwrite risk and all that. Um, from policies and regulations as well, right? That has to, people have to look at it from a different angle, right? And way and we are thinking about it and way we are engaging the market and even the players in the industry is by saying, hey, we have to look at the customer first before you even come up with regulations, before you come up with products, you have to go sit down with your customers, right? Now, I see a lot of players coming in and you know copy-pasting solutions from all over the place. I mean, it's not going to work. Like the African people, are they're unique in so many different ways from their behaviors, right? If you look at like consumer behavior in Africa, it's a bit different from the Western world, right? So you're not going to create a solution seated somewhere in a desk and then hope that it's going to be adopted very quickly in the marketplace. So we have to go back to the people that we want to sell the insurance to. You know, like, look at what are their pain points, right? Like, look at the pain, you know, the the pain relievers and all those, you know, value proposition angles or the canvas, if you have to call it that. And, And say, how can we really, like, truly look at solving your problem, right? Like, that's how I look at it. And we're saying that, we, we might not be the best people to advise on this, but then from where we are sitting and from the traction you're getting in the market based on how we are approaching it, it's something is working when you when you reverse engineer the solution, right? So you go sit down with the customer, figure out what the pain points are, see if you can work out something with them first and then come back and sit down, create a solution, you know, get the underwriters in place. And that's what I'm saying, like, it's going to be a very interesting couple of years because what you're what you're finding is that traditional insurance companies are not very interested in very innovative products right uh, we, we we struggle to get you know local guys to basically underwrite some of the things that you're playing around with so what you're going to find is that insurtechs are quickly going to jump you know jump a hoop and go work directly with reinsurance reinsurance companies right and that if, if you combine the micro-insurance approach with technology and a a human-centered design where you're starting with the customer first, I believe that the kind of numbers we'll be looking at in another couple of years is unlike anything seen before in any other continent. And that's where we're coming from. And that's how we're approaching this whole solution. Mm, okay,
0: yeah, thank you, thank you very much for that. and I mean uh, when you look when, when you're looking at um, you know inclusion uh, in the African continent, I think that Kenya uh, has done a lot of work, especially when you talk about beSA and how that has really helped uh, to get more people uh, to into the, the financial bracket and things like that. so uh, so for nonso uh, still looking at um, putting the customer first, I know that uh, so for social care. Uh, you are helping people to i mean you're really buying um health insurance with uh, recyclables uh, that is a, that's an interesting combination and uh, it's different and it's not something that uh, is in the market right so how it, how did you know How is that conversation going? Especially looking at the fact that uh, you are not going to underwrite it yourself. You have to engage insurance companies. And I mean, the existing products uh, demand that you pay a premium, a physical premium, other than the
4: Well, I think uh, when you try to serve different markets, you try to understand their individual needs. Uh, when you try to serve a market like Africa, where poverty is widespread and uh, lots of people earn less than $100 a month in terms of uh, income, and disposable income is very small, you have to look at not just designing the product, but how can you look at affordability? Can people be able to pay for this? Uh, because, uh, like, uh, I said earlier to millions of people who even go to bed without meal, this is like a loss you know, they don't really need it. They just want to have this basic need of food and shelter, but you could, come up and say, okay, this product, you basically need this because you're, going, you're likely to further move into poverty if you don't have this. But I'm not going to charge you money for this. I'm going to give you an alternative to pay for this instead of paying for with cash. Now, for example, we are having a conversation with about 16,000 to 18,000 farmers. These people have products, and their products are likely to perish because of post-harvest loss. Um, so because of post-service laws, the agricultural products are likely to perish. So what you need to do is to find an off-taker for agricultural products. so they don't, they don't have to pay cash, but they can use their apparel. So by this way, you create alternative ways of allowing people to, to pay for insurance services without having to pay cash. You create uh, by taking off the pearls from them, either with, like for example with those we do with recyclables. where you give us recyclables, we sell this we sell these recyclables and we convert the proceeds uh, into headphones to enable people uh, also have the same value that someone at the middle class will have. So it's just about understanding people and their individual needs and trying to tell it to their needs. Mm,
0: yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. And, you know, I think that there was a conversation I was having um, some time ago as regards uh, the um united nations sdgs and the approach uh, that insurance companies or you know companies generally should have towards that but looking at the insurance industry uh you know in my mind you know i was thinking that okay is it an approach where we are saying that you want to take a humanitarian approach right or you want to you know commercialize it, right? Uh, because at the end of the day, I mean, the goal is to get more people uh, the protection that they need, you know, no poverty, you know, zero hunger, you know, and things like that. Um, from your work uh, with some of these parasitals and some of the engagement that you're having uh, as well, I don't know, maybe uh, Nabi can also help here. Um, from your engagement, what's the approach uh, in, in doing this? Yeah, uh, not so, yeah.
4: Okay, okay, I thought you were referring to that. Okay, I think... one of the things I learned earlier was we understand that, like in Nigeria, most states are really out a uh, basic health insurance, you know, for across states. But it's it's easy to roll out the uh, insurance in the state because you have uh, people working in that state and they're employed by government. You just, just deduct that salary by providing and providing insurance. But what about the millions of people in the unorganised informal sector who live below poverty? It's quite hard to provide insurance for this kind of people. So for us, that's where we come in. We, we give them alternative environments. Are dirty, you know. Like what we are doing in Kaduna State, the state is dirty. People drink solid water. They it in the street. They consume plastic bags. it in the street. We could take up these things from you, and we could set up collection bins across states, and we could collect plastics, and we could sell this plastic and use the proceeds to finance insurance assurance of people. Because when this plastic block waterways, they turn to breeding ground for mosquitoes, which again uh, causes malaria. So this way, it doesn't bring economic costs on the on the state. The environment is promoted, and uh, health inclusion is guaranteed. So it costs not. Of and you see sustainability around it, you know, you try to finance something using uh, something that is absolutely not there. So this way, I think it's just about understanding a need and trying to capitalize on that, you know, helping people find alternative ways of uh, financing it instead of putting the financial, a uh, strong financial burden on them. Mm,
0: yeah. So, I mean, Nabi is, is, I mean, is the SDG something that we really need to put in? Um, I mean, in our minds, when we are even creating these new products for, for these new markets.
2: I think you know the Australian market is is quite interesting for the product. So we looked at Australian market versus versus even the U.S. market for a product like um, health insurance. Um, Australia has a very strong uh, government led. Um, infrastructure in providing health insurance and and there is this this kind of safety net that is provided but in the markets where there isn't a very strong social infrastructure um, the need for products like that are more important but the interesting thing about the Australian market here is in in health insurance, we have, you know, our private health insurance. Then we also have the public health insurance, which is called Medicare. Um, and, and then there are gaps in the coverage, neither the public or the private sector covers. So we're we're seeing in the market the gaps around, for example, very specific women's health insurance is not covered or is not affordable. For people that actually need it, for example, um, and then very specific, you know, mental health insurance. So we're, we're seeing this new micro segments that are exposed, which are incredibly valuable. And another way to, to think about that is the health insurance, even for a developed nation like Australia is very much built on the, on the philosophy of of uh, cure rather than prevention rather than h- holistic well-being and investing into making sure that you you are living a sustainable healthy lifestyle um and rather than you know let's pay for things when things go wrong and in australia you have this community rating structure where the healthier population offsets the unhealthy population and then shifting that to a personalized insurance model if it, would that happen? and if it did, what would that look like because a lot of the younger people don't want to pay for insurance because you're paying for the same kind of premium where you don't have to really lodge a claim. So those shifts we uh, we haven't seen happen much yet, but we are seeing um, there's huge opportunity for those products to kind of be dismantled and turn into micro products that are hyper personalized to an individual um, and then to provide the coverage, because we live in a world where we have access to so much data to be able to create products like that. So there is no excuse not to be able to do that, to to leverage the data, to say, okay, this is the kind of insurance that somebody would need. And rather than punishing people for disclosing their lifestyle, to incentivize people to engage in, uh, in behaviors that is going to increase the longevity, because we know that the life expectancy of our generation and future is going to go, you know, up to 100 years or more. And if we are designing a product for a lifespan of 100 years, we cannot use a model that has been designed for 30 years or 60 years of life expectancy. And that's where kind of the product design sits right now, and that needs a a big shift. And I believe in different markets you know the problems are are different uh, when we look at it but the the life expectancy or the health and well-being are kind of changing a lot people are taking um, personal responsibility in living a healthier um, more balanced kind of lifestyle and therefore insurance product design needs to change to suit that
0: mm, yeah that's, that's that's quite interesting and I mean. I- I like that point that you made, and I'm going to speak with uh, Cizwe. uh when you look at you know the approach moving from you know uh, you know rea- being reactive to being preventive right uh, you know what comes the one that comes to mind is uh, uh, vitality right and what they are doing and how uh, you know people are willingly happily going to you know, release all of this data and Basically, they are creating a product around helping people to be, you know, live better lives and which in turn, I mean, less claims and then they are creating loyalty as well, uh, for, for the customers, right? Uh, it's, it's quite interesting what what uh, that is being done, and and at the center of all of this uh, is having a mobile mindset, right? Uh, some of these things not being you know static, but being able to be nimble and simple, and you know maybe through uh, an app or through you know a, you know device maybe a watch, you know, and things like that. Uh, you know, is a mobile centric. Uh, Way of designing products or engaging customers something that we need to you know put in front as well as we you know, look to serve new markets.
3: Yeah, I man. Look, in the twenty first century, it's, it's probably a good idea to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, as you, you've mentioned, I think they're doing some great stuff on on that front. If you look at you know the likes of Vitality. Um, there's, there's a really, there's, there is so much, um, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, there's so much that one can do by taking advantage of the technology that we have disposable to us. Um, yeah, like you have programs like that, not just making use of your phone, but even like, you know, your watch that also has some health properties as well. can tell you all your heart rate, et cetera, using all those factors to essentially create um, other products, which can be essentially like supplement your, your cover or anything along those lines, um, I think, yeah, I think with the, the, obviously the, the advent of technology and the, 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 further penetration of it, there's so much opportunity that one can actually start doing that. And I think a lot of, um, um, you know, a lot of uh, companies are actually realizing that and they're starting to put out a lot of products that, you know, kind of center around that. Um, as you say, I think, one thing that shouldn't be forgotten that while developing all these products is never ever forget you know to actually think about the users' problems um you know and just focus on you know any of the pain points that the users may have um in terms of them consuming your products and them um you know yeah just essentially being covered uh you know via any of the products that you know the these companies have offered and you know just to kind of keep that in mind when developing those type of products, because that can definitely be easily forgotten, um, you know. Um, so I think uh, that's, that that should definitely be, you know, kind of front in mind and, you know, making use of the, the technology that that is available to us. Um, being mobile-centric, I guess, you know, I think mobile is what dominates right now, you know. I think mean, you know, a few years, well, not even a few years ago, Couple of years ago, that wouldn't have been the case, but right now that is definitely the case. And you know, just keeping that kind of you know front of mind, um, focusing on a, a, a mobile-centric um, you know, uh product delivering is probably the best choice that one could make in 2021.
0: Yeah. Um, quite interesting what you said, and thank you for that. Uh so in terms of engaging with insurers, right? Uh, because I mean. Well, at this point, uh, no one here is an insurer itself, right? Uh, so, in terms of engaging insurers who, um, you know, underwrite this risk, uh, so I'll start with Siswell uh, from the pineapple point of view. Um, what has been the experience and what do you think that needs to change uh, in terms of how uh, they are seeing insurance? And insurance?
3: So from an insurtech tech point of view, I guess um yeah look from an insurtech tech point of view you know like we we like most other insurance techs are partnered with your your bigger more established companies um who who are who yeah we essentially you know kind of rolling our products along with them. Um I think what a lot of the the the, the position your you know your 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 bigger companies generally find themselves in is that they are actually operating a business which they've been running for many years, you know, some much longer than others, but it's a proven formula, you know and from their point of view, they wouldn't want to change' what's, what, what is already working. And I think I mean you can't blame them. I mean speaking from a business point of view, why would you want to change something that's already working so well to the point where you know they're this large corporation? And I think that's what makes it harder to innovate and uh, perhaps maybe a bit more, uh, maybe you might find a little bit more reluctancy to um, to kind of adapt with what is coming, but I think that's obviously where a lot of these companies will then choose to partner with your, you know, your newcomers, you know, the likes of your pineapples, and you know, kind of collaborate with them to kind of you know move with the times and kind of see where the market is going, but at the same time still being able to maintain the existing business that they have. Um, that's working. Obviously, we don't know for how long it'll work, but I mean, right now it's still working. Um, And I think, uh, you know, just looking at, I think that's kind of the strategy a lot of them um, are kind of taking, if not partnering up with InsurTech, perhaps maybe they'll um, try and establish some sort of, uh, you know, new product or new offering, which is more mobile centric and more focused on your you know how you know like just how things are you know today in 2021 and kind of trying to innovate from there but it gets very difficult to kind of focus on that if this book that you have over here is bringing you you know this much revenue and you've got this big giant thing giving you all this revenue you're probably not going to put as much focus in this one than over here and that's what makes it quite difficult for the corporates obviously to to kind of move and be nimble in that regard with 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 the new um uh, market that we find ourselves in, but I guess that's where us insurance techs kind of come into play, and that's where a lot of those partnerships happen. So that's really been our experience, and I think that um, this really works well. Um, and I think we'll be seeing a lot more of it, you know, in 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 the future um, okay. of the in, of the insurance industry. Mm,
0: yeah. Uh, so uh, for Joel, uh, what has been your experience uh, in terms of engaging the um, insurers who you definitely are working with? Uh, is it the same or, I mean,
1: what do you think we can change? I have to be careful of what I say because <laughs> I'm the But what I'm going to say is, like, like you know, data is, you know, like data is, it's kind of king when it comes to decision making on some of these things. And what you're saying, like, if you look at even the European markets, look at the U.S. markets in terms of insurance, there's a huge shift of you know insurer insured tech companies you know quickly disrupting a, a segment that was predominantly traditional, and the way they've been some of them have been able to work out that is by you know skipping that step as I said earlier of the insurer right like the insurance itself and jump into the guys who actually underwrite the actual risk right so that's the reinsurance companies right so I'll give an example if you're doing medical you can choose not to go through company A, and go to Swiss Re or Munich Re or wherever directly, right? And what you're noticing is that the reinsurance guys have seen where the future is going, right? And they've started like, you know, collaborating with some of these insurance companies to push products that cater for what their users are, right? Remember, there, there's so many dynamics here. You, you have to look at like the age gap, right? Like if you look at traditional insurance companies, right? In one over 35 and above kind of like fits into the customer persona of the existing, most of the existing products. But then you look at that generational shift that's happening right now with the, you know, generation Z or millennials and them coming of age, you know, starting to work and then realizing like, Hey, wait, why am I paying $500 per year for medical cover and me? I never get sick, right? I need something, at $50, you know, at, at the point of need, right? So now insurer will not change their policies, right? Like the, they're kind of like a monster in, in the sense of, you know, they, they, they're they not very they're not very adaptive to change, but then it's, as we as said, it's because it's been working, right? You're not going to fix something that is not broken. So essentially what's going to happen is, and that's from my own point of view, is most insure techs are going to be very disruptive, are going to skip that step. And for the insurance companies that are very, very, like, you know, ahead of the curve when it comes to innovation, they're going to embrace the issuer techs and partner with them and create them as a distribution channel for their product. So that's what I see as a, like, I, I could be wrong, but then that's, that's what I see is going to happen in the next three, four years. And, you know, is an example of that, right? Like we had to skip the local guys because they told us it's going to take 18 months to create a product, right? I mean, Someone needs a product yesterday, right? You are gonna wait for eighteen months, so you skip to the guy who actually makes that decision, and they create a product for you within a month, right? So that kind of that that it's kind of huge, right? And uh, uh, but then you know it it depends with you know different policies, different structures and systems that have been put in place over time to form that decision. Mm,
0: Yeah, interesting points that you that you that you uh, mentioned there. Uh, So Nabi. How has that engagement been, especially with insurers? I know you mentioned earlier about what you started with and how the product has changed, but how has your engagement been and, and what do you think that we can necessarily change?
2: I think in the the Australian market has been slow uh from the incumbent side in terms of working with InsurTechs in creating new products. We're seeing a lot happening this year in the Australian market, which is a really great sign, um, where insurers are partnering with InsurTechs across the board in creating new products, whether it's commercial insurance or personal lines, and and other verticals as well. So we're we're seeing a lot happening in the Australian market, which is a really good sign. Uh, The thing with the industry is designing a product, getting a product up and running, it takes a long time because the insurers work very slowly. Uh, The structures are very different. So that is consistently the number one challenge is finding the right partner. The lead time to find the right right partner to create a insurance program together could take at least a year. So time to market is very long in creating product. But once you find the right partner, then it becomes a lot easier. Um, so for new insurtechs that are getting into the market I think having very strong relationships with the insurers is really critical because unless you cannot be in the market on your own you have to partner with the supply chain of the insurance world and therefore you need to find the find the right partner that understands the product that you're you're developing and designing has the similar kind of innovation culture inside the organization to be able to create and iterate. What we found the biggest challenge was insurers do not have a mindset of iteration. It is. It is very black and white. We create it today, and therefore it cannot change. Doesn't have this mindset of test, learn, improve, test, learn, improve. That a product needs to be constantly evolving, rather than we create a product today and forget it for the next two hundred years. Um, and and that's and and the and, and the culture isn't there, and therefore finding smaller, more nimble, more innovative um, groups are challenging. And also having CEOs or the board with the right direction. So a lot of the major insurers, the innovation agenda is more around let's find better claims technology. Let's find better lead generation. Let's save some more costs rather than how do we create new products? Um, so it's very much let's optimize bottom line rather than looking at new segments, looking at emerging segments. So there is this massive disconnect between and, and I think to, to previous points of his way as well is if you have a book of business that is working really well, why change? Right. So there is this like tension inside the organization, even though they see the need. There might be a board's direction that says, you know, okay, innovation for 2021 is maybe we move this part of the business to the cloud or, you know, maybe we find a better underwriting system. So it's like incremental micro improvements to maybe, you know, move the needle a little bit. But for that business, that could be millions of dollars in savings. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't really move the needle in the market in terms of innovation. So I think it just operates in like two different worlds of what innovation means. So there is this real big disconnect. Um, Having said that, there are some very innovative, I think reinsurers are ahead of the curve in terms of working with startups or designing programs or having corporate venture capital arms that not only invest in businesses that that kind of supports existing incomers, but also create new business and creates emerging products for emerging markets and emerging segments. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and there are lots of you know, case studies around the world with all of the reinsurers, we can just you know give lots of examples of how that has happened, but not a lot of the primary insurers um, that we can say it has been you know pushing the agenda for yeah. creating new products.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's 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 quite interesting. And uh, so and also how, how what has been your experience engaging with insurers, when I mean, looking at what you're trying to do in the market as well. Uh your you're, mute, you're mute. <laughs> All right.
4: Well, I think uh, the conversation earlier when we started, it was a bit difficult because you have to find the insurer on the writer, you have to pitch in the writer what you want to do, and you also have to look at the risk implication. Nobody wants to carry significant burden on the writing. Importantly, when you're trying to serve the low-income people, who are likely to be sick so these are things i i, I think uh working with the writers has to do with uh, uh it's more of shared value because people on the writers are also looking at distributing the policies and they, they want to distribute a policy but at a very low cost so if you could come up with a solution that could help uh, them to distribute this policy at a very low cost it's going to be a win sustainable solution that is win-win for you for the business and that uh, them and the entire ecosystem. But it's just all about coming together and sitting down with the writers, you know, letting them know your pinpoint and them understanding where you're going in the long term. But I think uh, all that being a everything is okay.
0: Right. That's, that's great. Uh, I mean, it's been quite interesting hearing from you, Nabi, Siswe, Joel, Nonso. so Um, I had a, a very interesting conversation so far. And I mean, I don't want it to be like I'm the only one asking the questions. Uh, so, I mean, let's uh, hear from our audience and see. I mean, what, what questions do they have and what comments they have? So, I mean, thank you for my end, for, for sharing as much as you did, and I'll, I'll switch to for Lumina to take questions.
5: All right. Um. So I think this question really is one. So, um, so um, Anagosh actually says that um, insurance is not just for the rich, it's to protect the poor and the ones who are on the borderline of poverty, especially in a COVID situation. Right, so... Um, how do you make the poor understand this important point? So how have you been able to push social care to a lot of people um, that are financially excluded, uh, um, especially in Nigeria or generally Africa, where um, a lot of people don't see the relevance of insurance?
4: Okay, Uh, thank you for the question. I think uh, one of the things you have to understand about insurance is that you're not selling a service, you're selling trust. You know, this is the product. you're asking somebody to pay you for trust. So people are paying for that trust. They want to understand that I'm giving you the little money that I have, you know, in case something happens, you could be able to come in and assist me. So for us, when we started, okay the idea was I saw a couple of kids picking plastics, you know, because their parents, because their mom obviously they had a little boy that was sick, and they had to pick those plastics so they could give it to their mom to sell it so that their mom would give it to a person who says HAB. In exchange, the person will take the plastics and be able to give their mom some herbs to say, take care of their stepbrother. brother. So I think that's a question of that, that level of trust again, because they're exchanging value, more of barter system. So what what, what 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 we do as social care and to reach more people is to sell that level of trust, because people don't have money and you want to engage them to have access to health inclusion. So you're asking them to give give me your rubbish. An average human being generates about three to four kilograms of waste every day of which over 85% of them are recyclable. So you're convincing this person to give me your waste, and with your waste, you can have access to healthcare anytime you need it. I can give you access to quality hospitals, and you could go there and get quality healthcare. So because it costs him nothing, besides uh, something that's a burden he generates in his house, he doesn't see it as a burden, you know, exchanging it for... Uh, access to quality health care. You know, the detainer has a ripple effect because when someone can use his rubbish to access health care, on the long run, he wants to come back. And even though he doesn't have rubbish, he wants to pay with cash because he has the confidence that this model is working and is providing him security. So it's just all about finding uh, alternative ways of engaging people and uh, creating awareness. Importantly, using local community people to let more people know the benefit of uh, health, access to quality health care.
5: Thank you very much. Um, so I think our discussion would um, really just go to Navi, Right, so um, Anu also asking that, we um, so talked about, uh, you know, um, income protection for, you know, hustlers, basically. So how exactly do you prevent the anti-selection in such, you know, um, income protection cases, especially for workers who take up seasonal um, how, how How do you go about that? Could you
2: repeat the last part again, please?
5: All right. So um, what I said was, uh, in terms of anti-selection, right, for um, your income protection products, how exactly do you prevent anti-selections um, from, you know, um, a lot of OSLAs, or should I say a lot of um, uh, gig workers that take up, you know, seasonal um, gigs, not necessarily um, something that run concurrently?
2: Yeah, so the way that the product is designed currently is based on so so a whole range of occupation classes and platforms. So that's the initial way we looked at the the product design and then split it into the knowledge economy and and the non-knowledge economy and broadly covering them at a really high level rather than at a very granular level. And then looking at how the insurers classify the risk category is based on income protection, on historical data for a corporate world as a way of the, the core foundation of the product design. And over time, because it's a new product, there is not a lot of data or claims data on on this specific segment. But if we look at the corporate sector, income protection has existed for a very long time. So there is a foundation to base some hypothesis on. And for us, it is to to learn as we collect more data and, and look at the various different nuances to then inform, you know, better pricing maybe, maybe better risk selection. Um, And it's all to be discovered because it's a new emerging market. There's not a lot of data that's available. So you have to have a reference point of some data from, from the existing claims data, and then triangulate the data with the new data that's coming in, and then learn and observe what it could be. So that's how we look at it rather than okay, this is what we're going to build predictive models to be able to build any kind of that granular level of modeling. We need actual data um, over a period of time with a whole range of claims coming through and then dissect into the data to then really look at it from a social science lens right like why does one category um is a certain type of risk versus another category that is a certain type of risk then there is the overlap of let's say i might be an uber driver but i am also a software engineer right and if that is the case how much of my time am i driving for uber versus how much of my time am I sitting at my desk? And therefore, what is the impact on my health and what is the likelihood of an accident happening and what does that accident look like, right? So a a common theme could be, so like from a traditional insurance perspective, um, they would classify it as your high risk if you're driving a car and the insurance model is built on on ensuring the asset rather than the behavioral traits or, or ensuring the human being, right? And we believe that is the way the product should be designed based on the human being because that determines their, their holistic well being. So, like I could say, you know, a burnout or mental health is a much higher risk that is also directly correlated to having an accident. Um, and, and getting that deeper understanding. So we use a framework of you know, some sociological frameworks and, and, and psychological frameworks and personality construct theoretical frameworks that underpins the way we think about the product, the way we think about the user, and what are the life events that they're involved in that could provide a whole kind of risk lens of that person. But these are all evolving and and it's still very new. So super exciting to see how these frameworks would provide the results of, hey, does it provide more accurate pricing? Um, can we shift the needle on the number of claims or the type of claims and, and provide the right coverage for the right person um, and design profitable products at the same time?
5: Well, thank you very much. I mean, I, I, that obviously answers majority of the question. And I, I think that um, it's it's really important, like you said, to look at, you know, um, the other part of the risk and not necessarily just the asset alone. So um, thank you. Uh, I would like to ask with um, this, this, or do it for everyone, because majority of us here um, really don't have um, insurance background. But then I, I would just like to ask Siswe. Um, um this particular question so i have um Mbuso, um Madi, madida asking that what are the different ways of you know going into insurance i'm guessing that um this particular person wants to understand how it is to move from you know whatever industry is right now to um, insurance industry so um what would be your best advice to um cool um
3: I mean, there is no set formula, I guess for it. I think pretty much the the first thing that's very important is to want to go into the industry. Um, I think <clears throat> that's definitely helpful. You don't wanna find yourself going there under the you know with the mindset of actually not wanting to actually be there. It's just like a second thought or something. I think it's very important to actually want to go into the industry to have a sense of curiosity about it um to find out kind of more about it. Um, I know that's how I ended up in it. Um For me, it was the financial services in general. Um, you know, also having moved to Johannesburg, which is the economic hub of, of of South Africa, dominated by the financial services. So I really had a big interest in it. so um, I, I made the move into there. Um, what also um, I, I, you know, given my interest, I also just did a lot of research. Um, I had a lot of peers who were in the industry as well. Um, just to find out, kind of more, kind of you know what it entails, what it's like working there. Um, I was able to see, you know, a lot of uh, friends and colleagues who are actually in the industry. You know, just how their lifestyles are, how they're working there, how they're finding it, the conversations they have. So I was very curious on that sense. So I think that's that's one of the the key things if you if you do want to go into insurance or the financial services, um, you know, start off by being very curious about it and actually wanting to get in. Um, And I guess from that, everything else will develop. You know, if you want to learn more about it, go out, learn more about it, do some research, do some readings. Um, I know for me, um, specifically with insurance, the so one thing that obviously that did pique my interest in it even before my working days was when I, when I was a student, um, a lot of my friends are studying actuarial science, which obviously is you know very um, it, that that kind of that degree kind of takes you into insurance as a whole. And that was also something that really piqued my interest. Obviously myself I did computer science, but I, I shared a lot of classes with them, um, you know like maths and stats, et cetera. Um, but it was always a thing, you know. Actuarial science—it's the most difficult degree, the toughest thing, you know. So, um, I, you know, for me, joining the industry it was also like I'm getting into the industry of actuaries and to actually see, you know, what it's like to work with within this industry that's been so hyped up so much. So, it definitely, my interest uh, definitely, um, you know, was built by things like that. So, I think uh, above everything. I think you really just have like a very keen interest in it because obviously when you do attempt to get into the industry, you will encounter people who are, you know, well versed in, in in the industry. The conversations you'll have, the questions you'll get through your general experiences, job applications, meetings, etc., will really revolve around that. So I think having a keen interest in the industry is very important, even if you're outside, just to wonder how it is inside and just to find out um, you know, how things are there. So yeah, I think that's that's pretty much really what I'd say. Just have a really strong interest uh, for it. And yeah, I think the rest should just sort itself out naturally.
5: Absolutely important. Like that's that's actually one of the key ways to um, penetrate the insurance industry it has to start from interest, basically. Thank you very much. So, um, before I let everyone go, um, this is one last question, but um, I'd have everyone answer this question the best way they can. So, yeah, again, we're having Anu ask that you know, other than finance and funding, what solutions are your respective companies looking um for to scale up? So I'll start with Sizwe and then we can move on from there. So you Siswe, um what is the next best thing for Pineapple? Hey
3: we're trying to become a unicorn man. <laughs> um, yeah look look our our focus definitely we're just trying to, you know, we we really trying to just plant growth. Um we really really, uh, seriously focused on growth, um, starting here now in South Africa, we just really want to really grow the brand, you know, want to become a household name. We really want to usher in that new era of insurance, um, you know, on the continent. So we really, really focus on just, you know, content growth at the moment. We, that's just our main focus. We just really want to grow, um, and just, you know, dedicate ourselves to just serving, you know, the, 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 you know South Africa, and you know hopefully in future expand throughout the continent and 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 service uh, Africa as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's really where our focus is right now. We just want to become that that household name. We really want to um, you know serve and dedicate ourselves to our users, always putting the customer first, and just really strive to just you know get, just deliver like awesome products. And there's a lot of things in the pipeline. Won't speak about them now, but. Uh, Sure, you'll you'll hear or see about them in the near future. So yeah.
5: Thank you very much, Siswe. Now to
2: Nabi. Um, what's the next best thing for cover here? I think you know, becoming the world's number one brand for the gig economy for hustle and for, for that brand to be recognized as the go-to brand. Um, for entrepreneurs all around the world um, and achieving that goal and next year to launch our product in the U.S. market, which is something that we've been preparing for for a while and then for it to be available across the globe. because that is the nature of self-employment, you know, global nomads traveling all around the world and working from anywhere in the world to have that protection and coverage, and your insurance can move around with you, regardless of where you are is is what we really want to accomplish. Um, and and then to have the strong brand value, um, you know the same level as you know like a stripe or a slack or or what these big brands that have you know built something and, and known for what they do and then do that better than anybody else.
5: Thank you very much, Nabi. Uh, good luck with that. Um, all right so I'll move on to um Joa. So Joa, what's the next best thing for Yeah. Of course, now you're in BIMA, um, the second Retro program. But what's, what's the next thing that you're looking to achieve with Multishore?
1: I think for us is um, strengthening partnerships um, across insur- fellow insurtech companies and working with, I I, I want to even thank um,
0: one of the best team that I have here in Kenya, that is a insurance company that's sort of like our pre-insurance guys and is
1: APA as well. So for me, it's mostly to scale the business and to cover as many Kenyans, Africans as we can with our focus and we are happy to say that, you know, we've gotten so much traction um, and the demand is crazy. So we hope to again. Follow pineapple being the next unicorn as well, so watch out for that.
5: Also, awesome. I like I like the fact that all of you are looking to be the next unicorn. I mean, of course, again, good luck um, with that. And finally, for Nansu, um, what what's are you looking to do with um, Susu Care? I know that you're playing actively in the health insurance space, but um, are you looking to upscale um, from that from that particular um, industry?
4: Sorry. Yeah, we are hoping to do so many things, but importantly, to ins- our mission is practically to ensure that everyone have access to quality healthcare, irrespective of their socioeconomic condition. So we, we started with recyclables. Now we are looking at uh, uh, agricultural products because we understand the need of on um, post harvest loss. So we, our goal is to focus more on growth, uh, on, on partnerships, and be able to find alternative ways of uh, financing healthcare. And hopefully to be a unicorn like uh, and, uh <laughs> This has to,
5: this has to be the catchword <laughs> today. If there's anything I <laughs> picked from this conversation it has to I... be the unicorn, the next unicorns. All right, thank you very much, Natsu. So thank you. Um, I'll pass the conversation now to Damola to um, you know close off this. We are about two minutes um, into the end of this conversation. So Damola, over to you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been a, it's been an interesting conversation so far. And, uh, we definitely want to say thank you to everyone who has, uh, joined firstly, uh, the audience. Uh, a lot of comments, a lot of questions. And I want to say to our panelists, maybe afterwards, maybe you can just jump in there and maybe uh, you know, Share your thoughts and comments. Answer some of those questions if you can. Uh, There are a lot of some comments. uh, There's this comment from um, Emeka uh, Kuiwu, uh, and he says that Joel Joel makes a good point. I think your point as regards going directly to um, reinsurer, it makes a good point. However, in my opinion, it's likely to be the broker segment of the market that would face a bigger challenge in this equation, as opposed to cutting out insurers entirely. You know, uh uh you know, Nelson uh Kiwaji is saying I commend the good work you're doing. You know, I mean Uganda and we've worked with three micro insurance. Uh, Instances the key challenges identified amongst others are education and awareness distribution the clean ratio and subscriber retention. Uh, another note, uh, the pandemic has caused a lot of unemployment. Uh, we need products that can cover the retrench for at least three months. I think uh, income protection, like uh, NAB is trying to push, I think that that works in that space as well. So uh, a lot of comments. Uh, so please I mean afterwards if you can just jump in and you know, share.